You're listening to the podcast of East River Park Christian Church. If you'd like to find out more information about the church or donate to this ministry, please visit us at eastriverpark.church. We pray that this is an encouragement to you as you grow in Christ through the local church. Sometimes it feels like uh, we have parenting all figured out, uh, and sometimes it feels like we, we might not survive the day. And so last month uh, was one of those moments we, we had really been on a good parenting streak uh, for several weeks, no real issues, no real blow-ups or, or meltdowns with our kids, and I thought, okay, <clears throat> maybe we're past all of that. Maybe we have... Um, unlocked some relational key with our children uh, and now we can be at peace with them and last month one of them reminded us that we are not and so we had given countless warnings we had stated clear consequences we had been consistent with language and tone Uh, we had um, been uh, going through gentle and graciousness in our speech and nothing worked like no warning or follow-through work to turn into this verbal fight and then a meltdown and then everyone went to bed that night uh, pretty defeated and so I stayed up a little later and laid on the couch for quite some time in the dark um, just thinking about how much I was failing as a parent and I grabbed my phone and began to google like how do I fix my kid which I realized um, you can't and I downloaded a book called The Explosive Child, which I didn't read. Um, and so, like, like, how could my kid hear and see and feel the judgment of their parents and respond with a will so strong that they just continued in their sin? Like, how could my kids be so stubborn? And I, I laid there and realized, Jason, you are, you're literally no better in your own sin. And how many times I, I have heard and seen and felt the heavy hand of the Lord in my life and then just responded with this resistant will to continue in my sin. Like, how could, how could I be so stubborn? And as frustrating as parenting can be, our children are just a small reflection of who we really are. So no, this isn't just an eight-year-old's problem. This is a problem for every single person that's listening to this message. We are a stubborn lot that tends to go on our own way, and it's nothing new. This is Psalm 81, verse 11. But my people did not listen to my voice. Israel would not submit to me. And so I gave them over to their stubborn hearts to follow their own counsels. Oh, oh, that my people would listen to me, that Israel would walk in my ways. Even when the Lord's hand is heavy on our lives, even when we see and feel the consequences of our sin, we still tend to go our own way. And so I want to show us from God's word, four ways to respond to the heavy hand of God. Three of them are in the negative from the pagans, 
and one of them is an encouraging, eternity-changing way from God's people. So this is the story of the Lord's judgment falling on the Philistines. We'll be in 1 Samuel 5. We'll tackle the whole chapter today. If you have a digital Bible, I'll read out of the ESV. If you have a bulletin, it's all there in your bulletin. And supplemental passages will be on the screen. But before we read the text, let's pray. Father, we um, come before you and, and, and confess that we, that we have failed in our failing. The past few weeks, a reminder of how broken our bodies are, riddled with, with all kinds of sickness. Father, people struggling today, and, and their bodies are failing them. God, what a reminder that our flesh is failing us. And even when we're confronted with the seriousness and the heavy hand of you, Father, we, we just want to do what we want to do. God, teach us how to respond according to your word. God, give us understanding as, as we're faced with your judgment. God, may it, it change how we think and how, and how we live our lives. And, and for some of us, that it would change our eternity. And we pray these things in your son's name. Amen. <clears throat> Let me read the whole account. 1 Samuel chapter 5, I'll start in verse 1. When the Philistines captured the Ark of God, they brought it from Ebenezer to Ashdod. Then the Philistines took the Ark of the God of God and brought it into the house of Dagon and set it up beside Dagon. And the people of Ashdod rose early the next day. Behold, Dagon had fallen downward on the ground before the Ark of the Lord. And so they took Dagon and put him back in his place. But when they rose early the next morning, behold, Dagon had fallen face downward on the ground before the ark of the Lord. And the head of Dagon and both his hands were lying cut on the threshold, and only the trunk of Dagon was left to him. This is why the priests of Dagon and all who enter the house of Dagon do not tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod to this day. So the, the hand of the Lord was heavy against the people of Ashdod, and he, and he terrified and afflicted them with tumors, both Ashdod and, and its territory. And when the men of Ashdod saw how things were, they said, the ark of God of Israel must not remain with us, for his hand is hard against us and against Dagon our God. And so they sent and they gathered together all the lords of the Philistines and said, what shall we do with the ark of the God of Israel? They answered, let the ark of God of Israel be brought around to Gath. And so they brought the ark of God of Israel there. But after they brought it around, the hand of the Lord was heavy against that city, causing a very great panic. And he afflicted the men of the city, both young and old, so that tumors broke out on them. And so they sent the ark to Ekron. And as soon as the ark of God came to Ekron, the people of Ekron cried out, they have brought around to us <clears throat> the ark of God of Israel to kill us and our people. And they sent therefore and gathered together the lords of the Philistines and said, send away the ark of God of Israel. 
Let it return to its own place, that it may not kill us and our people. For there was a deathly panic throughout the whole city, and the hand of God was very heavy there. The men who did not die were struck with tumors, and the cry of the city went up to heaven. Since we began the study of 1 Samuel, we've, we've seen leader after leader choose apathy over courage. We have watched the family of Eli choose passivity over righteousness. The Eli, the high priest, he stood by and he, and he watched his two sons stir up all kinds of evil in and around the tabernacle of God. And Eli's sons, they, they, they stood by and watched the leaders come into the tabernacle and then haul off the ark of God out into the camp. First Samuel is full of men that stand by and let sin and wickedness rule among the people. They are cowards. They are selfish. They are self-indulgent hypocrites. And I would say there are far too many men just like that filling our churches and our county and even our country. Weak men that don't stand up for what is right. Weak men that don't lead their families. Weak men that compromise their values because they defy the majority. But rest assured, the holy God of Israel is nothing like that. God is not weak, nor passive, nor apathetic towards sin. God will not stand by and then let sin have its way. No, the heavy hand of the Lord, it's really the precursor of the wrath of the Lord. It is with a heavy hand that judgment falls on the people. And I guess I would say the heavy hand of God, it's already on many families in our country. The heavy hand of God is not a future event for America. It is here and right now. The heavy hand of God might even be in your life this morning in your own sin. And you know it's wrong. And you know it like you have no peace in it. How will you respond? Like how will you and I respond to the heavy hand of God? So four ways, as I mentioned, the first three are negative ways because they're negative ways that the Philistines responded. So here's point one. Ignore all the warning signs. Ignore all the warning signs. Israel has lost its second battle to the Philistines in the ugly, devastating defeat of over 34,000 soldiers. And in that defeat, the Philistines, they hauled off the Ark of God away from God's people. So last week, we focused on uh, how that impacted Israel. For the glory of the Lord departed Israel that day. But this week, we'll focus on how that will impact the Philistines. Verse 1 of our text says that the enemy has taken the Ark from Ebenezer, so an abandoned Israelite camp, and they've hauled this ark about 19 miles south to a place called Ashdod, which is one of the five major Philistine cities. So I showed this map a few weeks ago. Let me show it again. You can see 
uh, up top, Ebenezer, and then let's go down, and there is Ashdown. I don't have a laser pointer, but you can figure it out. If not, look it up later. So there's the map. <clears throat> they bring this Ark of God into the house of, of, of Dagon, and Dagon is this well-known, well-worshipped false god for many centuries. It appears to the Philistines have added Dagon as a central figure among many of the gods that they had worshipped. And since the Philistines had conquered Israel, they believed they could also conquer God or, or Yahweh. So they're not trying to get rid of God in the ark. No, they're just, they're just adding that to their collection, which is why they dragged the ark of God into the temple of Dagon in verse 2. So the presence of the Lord would serve and worship their God. So in their minds, it's a victory. Something unusual began to unfold. The people of Ashdod, they woke up early the next day, and Dagon had, had fallen face downward before the Ark of God. Now that would be enough for me to at least be freaked out. Obviously, it's something that it's not happened before. Obviously, an Israelite didn't sneak into the tabernacle and, or the temple and push Dagon over. No, this statue that they believed looked like um, a large man or even a merman was toppled over to the ground. All right. No big deal. Uh, nothing was broken. Uh, maybe the statue had just been, it'd been ready to tip for a long time. Uh, a coincidence, maybe. So the people of Ashdod, they, they set the statue back up. And then it happened again. Verse 4. The people woke up early the next day and they found that the statue had fallen face down before the ark of God. And this time things were broken. The head and the hands had been cut off on the threshold, and then only the base of the statue was left. Friends, God will not be mocked. Galatians 6, 7, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. And every God and idol will fall before the Lord. It, it's, it's of no coincidence that Eli, filled with the God of his belly, fell backward and died in 1 Samuel 4. And it is no coincidence that Dagon, the God of the Philistines, fell forward and smashed to pieces before the Ark of the Covenant. God will not be mocked. And every false god and idol in our lives will one day bow before the King of kings and Lord of lords. We even sang it this morning, Philippians 2, <clears throat> starting in verse 9. Therefore God has highly exalted him, him being Christ, and bestowed on him the name that is above every name, so that the name of Jesus every knee should bow, in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord, to the glory of God the Father. God will not be mocked. He's a jealous God. And he will be worshipped, for the heavy hand of, of the Lord was on the Philistines. And they missed every warning sign. They just assumed it was an accident. 
assumed it was a coincidence, assumed that the holy God of Israel was just, was just a God like all the other gods. And the statue of Dagon fell, warning sign number one. And the statue of Dagon fell again, warning sign number two. And they ignored every bit of it. We serve a gracious and kind and slow to anger God. And all throughout the Old Testament, you see God warning nations of his holiness and his power. The Old Testament can be brutal, for sure. I just can't think of one time where God let judgment fall without gracious warning signs, even prophets pleading for repentance on behalf of the Lord. So please, don't ignore the warning signs of the heavy hand of the Lord. If you feel anxious and uneasy in your sin, that's a warning sign. If you notice that you're, you're isolating yourself from everyone that loves you, that's a warning sign. If you tend to be bitter, just a bitter person all the time towards other people, towards the local church, that's a warning sign. If your heart just seems, it just seems apathetic towards hearing and studying the word of God, that's a warning sign. When the weather's a bit warmer, I'd love to take the kids down to Elk River Falls. And if you've ever been there, there's very little protection from someone just walking off the waterfall or jumping off the waterfall. Um, but you'll notice along the way, there are countless signs on the trail, like pleading with people not to jump. Countless signs that read, this is literally from the sign, do not jump off waterfall. Death and serious injury have occurred. And you know what people do all the time? They jump off the waterfall. Don't ignore the warning signs of your sin. Don't ignore the warning signs that the heavy hand of the Lord is on you. Like the Philistines, it will cost you your life. At the end of the day, the Philistines, they did, they did recognize like something's not okay. So four responses to the heavy hand of the Lord. In the negative, here's point two. Fear the consequences, but don't address the root of the problem. Fear the consequences, but don't address the root of the problem. Looking at verse five, the text says that this is why, this is why the priests of Dagon and all the worshipers that enter the house of Dagon did not tread on the threshold of Dagon and Ashdod. <clears throat> like, do you see how blinded they are in their disobedience and sin? They are so worked up in fear of even walking on the threshold that they've in instituted a, a new religious law to avoid it altogether. Whatever was spinning in their brains, it's certain that they would prefer not to be just squashed over the statue of their God. So from now on, no one, no one walks on the threshold. <clears throat> the very obvious problem is they only feared the consequences of their actions 
but they didn't address the root. I mean, what's their problem? Well, they're a pagan nation that worship many gods. The root of their problem is that they didn't acknowledge the God of Israel as the one true and only God. That's the root of their problem. And I'll be as direct as possible. That is still the root of your problem today. When we find ourselves in sin, when we find ourselves with the heavy hand of the Lord on us, we tend to only address the behavior, not the root. Which is the reason why Christianity has become a religion of behavior modification and not heart transformation. And fear of making a mess of our lives or even like disappointing other people. We create all these new religious rules. Don't do this. Don't go there. Don't say that. Don't wear that. Don't think this. Don't eat that. Don't drink this. Certainly not saying some of us shouldn't protect ourselves from things that we struggle with. I'm saying if we only fear the consequences of our actions, adjust our behavior, but never address the root of our problems, we're missing the whole point. The root of all of our sin is that we are worshiping something other than God. Eli was doing it. The Philistines were doing it. And we do it all the time. The heavy hand of the Lord was against the people of Ashdod, not because they're walking on some random threshold. It's because their hearts were worshiping a false god. In fact, many gods. So listen closely, church. When we follow our hearts it leads us down a path of idol worship. Jeremiah 17, 9. The heart, your heart, it's deceitful above all things. It's desperately sick. Who can understand it? So our biggest problem is not adjusting our behavior. Now, there's thousands of, of self-help books and TikToks that can encourage us and even give us advice to adjust our behavior. And I'm not even saying that's all wrong or bad. It's just not our biggest problem. Our biggest problem is that we need a new heart. A heart that's just not so deceitful. A heart that will actually bend to the will of the Holy Spirit. A heart of flesh. Ezekiel 36, 26. I'll, I'll give you a new heart. A new spirit I'll put in you. And I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. Let us not fall prey to the foolish pursuit of the Philistines where we fear the consequences of our actions, where we adjust our behavior, create some new religious rules for ourselves, and then we sadly and completely ignore the root of our problem. Four responses to the heavy hand of the Lord. Here's three. Um, pass off the judgment to someone else. Just pass it off. In verse six, we find that the, the judgment will now fall on the Philistines for their actions. 
All right, so for the heavy hand of the Lord is heavy against the people of Ashdod. They're terrified and afflicted with tumors. Well, what kind of tumors? It's very likely inflamed lymph nodes. It's very likely that God afflicted them with the, with the bubonic plague, which is spread by rodents and mice. Important for us to remember for next week. Everything that the Philistines feared about the Lord is coming true. Like even before they had the ark of God, they're terrified that the, that the Lord of, of Israel will afflict them with plagues. It's in 1 Samuel 4. Verse 7, the Philistines were afraid. They said, a God has come into the camp. They said, woe to us, for nothing like this has ever happened before. Woe to us, who can deliver us from the power of these mighty gods. These are the gods who struck the Egyptians with every sort of plague in the wilderness. And it is a nightmare becoming a reality for them. That the people of Ashdod, they're, they're struck with this overwhelming and terrible plague. And, and what's the game plan with that judgment? <laughs> What's the game plan after feeling the heavy hand of the Lord against his people, against the people? Well, they just pass the ark off to someone else. We're not entirely sure why they thought that strategy would work. Maybe if the ark was in a different location, uh, the Lord would lead them alone like some sort of weird, deadly game of hot potato. But in verse 8, the lords of the Philistines, they got together and, and devised this next step. The ark can't stay in Ashdod. Everyone will die. Let's, let's send the ark to another Philistine city named Gath. As you might recall, the hometown of Goliath. Did it work? <laughs> no. See in verse 9, the heavy hand of the Lord went against the whole city. And threw everyone into a great panic, afflicted everyone in the city, both young and old. It wasn't by accident. Oh no, this was part of a larger redemptive plan of God's people. A larger plan promised in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 7, verse 22. The Lord, your God, will clear away these nations before you little by little. And you may not make an end of them at once, lest the wild beasts grow too numerous for you. But the Lord your God will give them over to you and throw them into great confusion until they're destroyed. So the heavy hand of the Lord was against the people from Ashdod to Gath. All right, well, let's move the ark again. So from Gath to Ekron, which is only about 20 miles southwest of Jerusalem. At this point, the ark of God, it's just a curse from God. In verse 10, you see, even as the people, they saw the ark of God coming, they let out a cry. Every city the, the ark visited was a plague that God visited for the heavy hand of the Lord was heavy against his, the people. The lords of the Philistines, they gathered together again. Like this, let's get this ark out of here. Send the ark back where it came from before we all die. Even the men that didn't die from the plague, they cried out of the city so that it went up to heaven. So tumors and death, cries of pain of, and destruction for the heavy hand of the Lord was against the people. For whatever reason, the Philistines believed that 
passing off the judgment of God to someone else would solve their problems. And it's not like they passed that off to some neighboring nation. No, they passed that judgment off to their own people. It's no surprise that when we're faced with the judgment of the Lord, how quickly we act just like the pagan Philistines. So rather than recognizing our own problems, dealing with the judgment that we brought on ourselves, we just pass it off to others, even people we love. We cause the judgment of our sin to inflict our family members and friends. We cause the judgment of our sin to plague our grandchildren and children. Friends, moving your sin problems around will not solve your sin problems. Moving your sin problems around, it just, it just hurts more people. Moving to a new state, moving to a new relationship, moving to a new job will never fix the root of your heart. Moving sin around only spreads sin around. And you will absolutely hurt people in the process. You and I, we can't escape the heavy hand of God by changing positions, by moving locations, by even passing off judgment to someone else. This is February 2009. James C. Hams was called uh, to his employer's headquarters in Cincinnati, Ohio, to answer some questions from the FBI about a possible fraud scheme in his organization. Shortly after he left the company's headquarters that day for his home in Lexington, Kentucky, the 46-year-old husband and father just disappeared without a word. He was later charged with embezzling more than $8.7 million from his employer over an 11-year period. As it turns out, the majority of his six years on the run, he was hiding in plain sight on the Appalachian Trail. He went by a trail named uh, Bismarck, he came to be known as and liked by fellow hikers on the trail. No one guessed that was his real identity or that he was even wanted by the FBI. James was a fugitive. His wife divorced him. He apparently had little contact with the outside world while he was hiking. Um, so much so that he didn't even realize that his own case was attracting like a ton of media attention as it was um, highlighted on shows like American Greed and America's Most Wanted. Years later, in late 2014, a hiker who had spent time with Bismarck on the trail, uh, he went back home and he watched a rerun of this ep episode of American Greed and figured out James Case. He recognized his trail companion, called the FBI, and then James was arrested in Virginia in May 2015 and pleaded guilty. 2016, a federal judge sentenced him to eight years in prison, ordered him to pay nearly $8 million in restitution. And the FBI agent pointed out that James didn't have um, a gambling problem or a drug addiction. Uh, 
He just said, I think, I think he was greedy. I think he wanted a lifestyle that his current position couldn't afford him. He was an outgoing guy. People liked him. But it's obvious by his actions that he didn't care about anyone but himself. Friends, the hand of the Lord is heavy on those that choose to live in sin. And you can, you can ignore all the warning signs that things are not okay with you. And you can be terrified of being caught and never address the root problems of your heart. You can, you can even try to pass off judgment to someone else and attempt to dodge righteous punishment for yourself. All of those are possible responses to the heavy hand of the Lord. And to be fair, every one of us has been there on some level. But there's only one healthy response in that moment. There's only one biblical and godly response when the Lord's hand is against you. And that's number four, our main point. Four, confess your sin to the Lord and be forgiven. It is literally that difficult and that simple. The only response is to be honest with your sin and your mess and your issues and your problems and your heart and confess your sin to the Lord and be forgiven. Really, the only way to remove the heavy hand of the Lord on your life is through the Lord. In the words of King David, a man caught up in sin deeper than any person here this morning. In his words, Psalm 32, verse 4. Day and night, your hand was heavy against, or heavy upon me. And my strength was dried up as by the heat of summer. And I, I acknowledged my sin to you. I did not cover my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord. And then you forgave the iniquity of my sin. Day and night, there's no escape. The hand of the Lord is heavy on King David and his sin, and his strength was dried up. As much as he tried to ignore those warning signs, as much as he tried to fix the problem on his own, as much as he tried to shift blame and pass judgment onto others, King David just had to look in the mirror. And he was left with only one response. The only response that we have today. Confess your sins to the Lord and be forgiven. If you have any questions about the text or just want someone to pray with you, um, give your life to Christ, join the local church, whatever it is, I'd love to talk with you after the message or after the last song, but let's pray and then we'll sing a closing song. God, we are, are thankful for your word, that there is no person here that's, that's not experienced this. Living in sin, living in unconfessed sin, just doing whatever we want. <clears throat> and we feel it, we feel your, 
your heavy hand on us and we've, we've been ignoring those warning signs. God, we're just passing that judgment off to someone else, Father. God, just creating new rules, just trying to, to be a better person, change our behavior. God, we need a new heart. We need you, Father. Help us to confess, God, that there's not a person here that doesn't struggle with sin, myself included. God, we just need to confess our sin to you. And the promise of your word is that you will forgive us. That's our only response. So we're thankful for the seriousness of your word, but also the hope that it gives us. And we pray these things in your son's name.